This is the podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, I'm Olivia Kuei. And I'm Harianto Diman. Welcome to The Straits Times, the big story podcast where we analyse key issues with our journalists and guest experts. Meanwhile, Johnson & Johnson has launched a new large-scale late-stage trial to test a two-dose regimen of its experimental COVID-19 vaccine. It plans to enrol up to 30,000 participants for the study and run it in parallel with a one-dose trial. Participants will be given a, a first dose of either a placebo or the experimental shot, followed by a second dose or placebo 57 days later. Now, meanwhile, Paris-based drug maker Sanofi said its COVID-19 vaccine will not need to be supercooled and a normal refrigerator will suffice like the flu vaccine. Now, this comes days after American pharmaceutical giant Pfizer and its German partner BioNTech announced that their vaccine had proven 90% effective in preventing COVID-19 infections in ongoing phase 3 trials. However, Pfizer's vaccine must be stored at minus 70 degrees Celsius or else it falls apart and this is well beyond the capability of most hospital freezers, let alone domestic appliances. Now, Singapore has been in talks with Pfizer to secure doses for people here. But given the strong demand for vaccines worldwide, Singapore is unlikely to get enough for every person in the initial months or even the first year. Well, here to share more is Associate Professor Alex Cook, Vice Dean of Research at the Sorcery Hawk School of Public Health. Welcome back, Professor. So in the latest uh, press conference with the multi-ministry task force last week, Health Minister Gan Kim Yong said Singapore will work on securing a portfolio of COVID-19 vaccines instead of relying on a single one. So what are the advantages and disadvantages in a population getting a range of vaccines? It's quite a pragmatic approach. If you think over the next... 12 months or so, um, globally, we're hoping to vaccinate several billion people. And given that, I mean, that would be the largest vaccination exercise ever. Um, given that, it's, it's difficult to imagine that one company would be able to produce enough vaccine doses to be able to service the whole world. So given that, there'll be multiple different companies that are putting their, va their vaccine out to market. And I think that because of that, we'll end up with multiple vaccines in the Singapore market as well. So it seems quite a pragmatic approach to handling that. I see. Um, any disadvantages to getting a portfolio of vaccines, a range of, of, of them? I think not really. It makes it a bit harder to work out who you're going to give which vaccines to, given that they will not all be equivalent. Um, but I mean, these are these are small operational issues. I think the more important thing is trying to get as many doses as we can in the shortest period of time that we can. Right. Prof, when the vaccine is eventually made available, should it be voluntary or compulsory, you think? So if you look at other vaccines that we currently have in Singapore, um, you look at like pediatric vaccines. Um, although we have a very high coverage of all our pediatric vaccines, actually only two of them are compulsory, diphtheria and measles. Um, and so it does seem that it would be inconsistent to say that the COVID vaccine would have to be compulsory. I think in particular, given the early phase where we're not going to have enough vaccine doses for everyone in the population to get, then if someone doesn't want to get a vaccine, then that means that someone else will be able to benefit at their expense by getting the vaccine. So I think that having it as an optional vaccine um, for most people is probably a practical way of doing it. Um, but there'll be some groups in the population where we may want to consider making it compulsory, for example, healthcare workers, yeah. people who work in nursing homes, etc. I see. Well, on that note, 
The big question of who gets access uh, first to a vaccine. In the Singapore context, the task force has already said that among those who would receive the vaccines first include frontline workers. Which other groups you think would be given or should be given priority? So I think there's there's two main groups for pri prioritization. So one is the, the frontline workers, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. I think the second would be older age groups. So throughout the pandemic, what we've, we've seen is that it's the older age groups who are most vulnerable to getting COVID. Um, they're the ones who have been filling up ICU wards in Europe, North America. Um, they're the ones with the higher mortality rates. Um, and so they would be the other group that we'd be prioritizing for vaccination. Now, exactly which groups within the older age group that we are going to prioritize is going to depend a lot on how many doses we're able to get. So if, we're, if we get fewer, then you'd prioritize maybe those age 80 plus. But if you can get more than, you know, 65 plus or 50 plus may be the way to go. Um, the exact balance between who gets some, how, how many doses we give to older individuals versus to like a healthcare workers, that, that's a harder one to, to try to balance. Um, and I think we'll have to wait and see how many doses we're able to secure. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Prof Cook. We've been speaking to Associate Professor Alex Cook. Now, he's the Vice Dean of Research at NUS's Saw Sui Hawk School of Public Health. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.